Are you bored living a mediocre life? We were too, and we know how to change that. Each week, we'll leave our comfort zones to explore a new topic, then step onto our soapboxes, a safe space to sound off on our latest adventure. Come explore with us. All opinions are welcome. This is a mindset. This is a lifestyle. This is Siren Soapbox. Hello and welcome fellow explorers. Thank you for diving in with us today. Our mission is to explore beyond comfort zones. Looking to take the first step outside of your comfort zone? Check out sirensoapbox.com for easy ideas you can explore with our blog, magazine, and Eventbrite classes. In the fall of 2021, the Sirens took the masterclass Jesse Krebs teaches wilderness survival. During the masterclass, we noticed a lot of connections between diving and survival, which makes a lot of sense considering when you're underwater for any length of time, it does become a matter of survival. Some of those synchronicities include having a positive mindset, preparing before you explore, exhale longer than you inhale, not tying, and the importance of personal protection against the elements. As explorers, we also connected with Jesse's message at the end of the masterclass about nature inspiring curiosity and expanding your comfort zone. Check out episode 56, Survival, for more on what we explored. But let's dive deeper on this topic. There's an idiom that says, those who cannot do, teach. However, this is far from the truth with Jesse as she is practicing what she preaches in this season of History Channels alone. Anyone who can pass the rigorous test to make it as one of the 10 contestants on the show are survivors in our book. According to history.com, season nine of the History Channel's hit survival series alone delivers a fresh set of dangers and challenges for 10 new participants. Equipped with just 10 items of their choosing, the survivalists are dropped into a remote wilderness valley in Labrador, Canada. While documenting their experiences, each participant must survive in total isolation with the hopes of outlasting everyone else to claim the $500,000 prize. Not only must they endure hunger, loneliness, and the elements, but this season they'll become the hunted as they discover their location is situated deep in the polar bear territory. No camera crews, no gimmicks. It's the ultimate test of human will. Not only are the sirens following Jesse's journey on the show, but we also challenged ourselves to be alone for 24 hours. Let's find out how the sirens did. But spoiler alert, as of this recording, we are five episodes into alone. If you are not caught up, stop listening right now and head on over to the History Channel and check it out. We'll wait. (laughs) Welcome back. It was totally worth it, wasn't it? All right, on to Siren Soapbox. If at any time the conversation gets too intense, the safe word is? Mango. First up on her soapbox is Sarah. Well, I definitely had fun preparing for this episode because I got to hang out with Bill and watch the Alone series. Jesse's season hadn't started yet, so we had time to get pretty far along and we're really enjoying the show. We're just getting started on season four, and there's a bit of a twist change up there, but we're taking a break while the current season is in progress. There's so many things I like about the show, but I think what I like the most is seeing just how creative some of the participants can get when it comes to building things, not just shelters, but chairs, beds, and musical instruments. I was so impressed by some of the things that they came up with. 
What surprised me about some of these folks though, was that it almost seemed like they just decided they had nothing else they wanted to do. So they just decided to go home. I would have sworn that those folks could have gone on forever there just building a city. Well, when it was time for me to have my own alone experience, I really put it off as long as I could. I wasn't worried about spending a night alone. I wasn't even worried about being outdoors alone for a night. I just don't generally choose to spend the night separate from Bill, as silly as it sounds, since giving up taking overnight call at the hospital. But that hardly seemed like a reason to mango out, so I got over myself and I did it. Because I left it pretty late, I didn't stray far, but I did spend the night alone outdoors. I set up camp under our back deck using my hammock, <clears throat> and it, I've done it before, so I knew that it would work out pretty well. I had my phone with me for recording purposes only, and I did take some videos and pictures. My videos are not as great as some of those alone videos though. Those participants, they, have, they must have some really good training because um, their videos are amazing. I did practice my Jesse Krebs masterclass skill, fire starting, which I did talk about when we did our episode back then. I started a fire in our fire pit this time and it was great. I still think I could win that survivor challenge by the way. <laughs> While on my own, I enjoyed watching fireflies, listening to distant trains, um, trying not to think about a totally different alone experience I could have been having with Bill as we had no kids at home, and waiting for the first stars to come out. I slept pretty well in my hammock, but when it was really quiet, I could hear all the rustling in the yard. I could even hear something small moving around on the rocks. It was pretty creepy, but quite honestly, I was more worried about some strange human coming to investigate rather than a woodland creature, and the noises were too small, so I eventually went to sleep. And by the way, this totally could have been a Shiwi and Kula Cloth crossover episode because I used them both, and boy, was that a lot of fun. Jess, how much fun did you have? Well, I had fun, but during this challenge, I realized that I would never make it during the zombie apocalypse at least not alone. So my tent broke back in Ohio and I did not buy another one before moving because I didn't want to have to move it across the ocean. I did the minimalist challenge before this, before moving, and uh, I was not going to replace anything that I had gotten rid of. So camping overnight without a tent is not an option in Hawaii unless you are right on the sand because of the centipedes and scorpions. And camping on the beach is actually illegal, so I couldn't do that. I decided to set up a makeshift camp in my backyard and quote unquote camp for the day. I set up a little ramshackle tarp and quickly realized I need to work on my knot skills because it was very saggy. But building a fire went much better because I had a lot of dried green waste from our yard in the fire pit. I filled my water bottle, grabbed my shiwi, a book we're reading for a later episode, some Beyond Meat jerky, highly recommend the hot and spicy variety and spent the afternoon hanging out with the chickens and gathering more kindling by pulling vines and dead fronds from around my yard. Yes, we have wild chickens on Kauai and I've grown pretty attached to them. So I don't think that I could eat them. Plus they help keep the bugs under control and they love to eat the centipedes. So I'm fine as long as they're earning their keep. Spending the after afternoon alone was nice, but I'm not sure I could make it for a whole day much less as long as these alone contestants are doing without losing my mind, at least more than I already have. So Elsie, as a rehabber, how did you handle that scene? Oh, 
So that scene was really difficult for me. At the start of March, 2020, some people baked bread, some learned how to crochet. My thing was rehabbing squirrels. It's a lot of work, mixing formula, bottle feeding every few hours, even in the middle of the night. It's like having a brand new baby. And then once the males reach sexual maturity, they really become wild and need to be released where they belong. This is one of the hardest days of my life. These little critters that you love and care for are suddenly on their own. I have a soft spot for animals. Just this morning, we cut a hole in our new home to free a baby bird. That's in addition to the hole we put in the garage last night. The mama bird was squawking at us to help, so I can only imagine what Jessie was feeling at that moment. But she brings up an excellent point. Every day we're alive, something has to die. As we talked about in the vegan episode, we've really removed ourselves from this natural part of life, death of our food. I don't know if I'd even be able to survive in a survival type situation. I don't think I'd be able to kill anything. Mix that with the fact that I don't eat fruits or veggies. And I think I'd only be around as long as my reserves can carry me. (laughs) But since taking the masterclass, I always carry with me my 24 ounce Stanley kettle with survival tools inside because Jesse taught us the most dangerous hikes are day hikes because we're the least prepared. So for my 24 hours, I set out in the woods behind my home, which felt very nostalgic. And I built a shelter out of the paracord and survival blanket that were tucked neatly into my gear. Side note, it's incredibly hard to carve out 24 hours of time for this. Imagine how hard it would be to do this for a hundred days. It's been hot, so I went through my water pretty quickly. Like Jess, I caught up on some reading, but I also napped. And right around dusk, I chickened out. I would most definitely be one of those that would need a boat escort in the middle of the night. Mer, how did you do? (laughs) Well, I spent one night by myself in a campground recently, and here's how it went. I set up a hammock with little issue. I was able to use a fisherman's knot to connect lines because I didn't have one long enough to set up the bug net. So that was pretty cool. I went on a hike on a marked trail. So that felt pretty safe. I really had no need or any desire to wander off into the brush. So I didn't because I didn't have to. I was able to start a fire using just a ferro rod. And that made me feel like a badass. Lastly, I was bored. And here's the thing. I was never truly alone. The campground was sold out. So there were people everywhere. I was glad to have a reason to practice tying knots again and to use the ferro rod. But as soon as the sun came up the next morning, I took down the hammock and was out of there. By 6 a.m., I was in my car headed to Mark. And I certainly cannot imagine staying out in the wilderness for months, especially if I were by myself. I have so much respect for the people competing on the show alone. It takes a certain type of strength and willpower to do what they do. This wasn't my first solo camp out though. Several years ago, I did some hiking, waterfall hunting and camping by myself and I turned it into a retreat. I had planned some journal prompts and did lots of writing and self-reflection while sitting near waterfalls or creek beds. I ate brie and grapes and drank Prosecco before bed. It was quite a nice experience. The thing that put me out of my comfort zone this time was that I only allowed myself 10 items, just like the contestants on Alone. That did not allow for any entertainment, and I do not do well with boredom. So, of course, like we do for all of our explorations, we reached out to a subject matter expert on this topic. 
when we reached out to Jesse Krebs via email in one of the auto responses we got back, we were informed she was out in the woods for an extended period of time. No surprises there, although we had no idea for what. We think we know now. Though some, through some miscommunication on our end and some bias based on our own past experiences, we assumed Jesse couldn't meet with us when we originally scheduled with her back in May. But thankfully, she was so gracious and willing to reschedule with us. And because of that happy accident, we were able to talk to Jesse about some of her experiences on the History Channel's critically acclaimed show alone. Jesse served in the Air Force and had four years of enlistment as a SEER specialist. SEER stands for Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. And then she continued on to be the head instructor for SEER training school. In 2022, she opened her own school, OWLS Skills. OWLS stands for Outdoorsy Women Learning Survival Skills. Jessie says of herself that she is a half-century-old child of the wilderness. She loves climbing trees, exploring canyons, picking apart scat, calling to coyotes, watching clouds, dancing in rainstorms, singing, cuddling under blankets under cold days with tea and a good book, swimming, building things, connecting and playing with other creatures, human or otherwise, teaching, learning, growing, becoming, you know, a typical human. Her life motto is to keep smiling. People will wonder what you're up to. Personally, we love Jessie's upbeat and no-nonsense attitude that makes survival skills fun and memorable to learn, and it has been fascinating to watch her put those skills to the test in one of the most harsh environments on the planet. Sirens, please help me in welcoming Jessie Krebs to this episode of Siren Soapbox. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. I love the sirens. I love the tails with all the mermaids, you know, different colors. It's just so much fun. It's awesome. Well, we are really excited to have you here too. So we're curious, what inspired you to become a professional survivalist? You know, it really wasn't on my radar initially. Uh, although when I was a teenager, I wanted to be an oceanographer long, for a long time. And I think that's because I really loved dolphins. And my mom and I had gone down to Florida a few times during um, like winter break, you know, and, and had gone down to play. And my mom loves to fish. So we'd be out on the Keys, usually in between the bridges, fishing and things. And I'd go in the water and I wasn't a diver at the time, but I loved to snorkel. So I'd be down playing and tooling around in the waves. So oceanography sounded like a really good one for me. And I'd felt a connection with the wilderness, uh, mostly I think because my mom is an outdoors woman and also because of my abuse as a child, the sexual infant and sexual, uh, infant and childhood sexual abuse when I was a kid, um, which was my grandmother's second husband. And because of that and the way in which it happened, I didn't really trust people. People didn't feel safe to me. Uh, but the outdoors did. So that felt like a place where I was held and I would go out and climb a tree and talk to the stars and the wind and the moon and water if I was around it. And it seemed like those elements spoke back to me and that I had a communication with them and they were my best friends, the ones that I felt like I could trust and that wouldn't um, hurt me in any way. So that was my my foundation, I think. And my mom was a big traveler as well. She's She still loves to travel. So she had taken me to Europe when I was 12 and um, we did it rather rustically. <laughs> so uh, 
being outdoors and just camping and traveling and all of that was integral to my growing up. Uh, and because of that connection I felt with the wilderness, um, going when I went into the military, which was for travel, for school, uh, mom made it very clear I was going to be going to college one way or another. She had to drag me there kicking and screaming, which luckily she didn't. Um, and it felt like a good break from school first. So I took the uh, break by basically going in the military and becoming a SEER instructor. Um, and slowly then after about three years into the military, I started taking college courses. Um, and it was really awesome that when I went to basic training, they showed SEER training uh, as on the 15th day. And that was fantastic because I'd gone in to be a mechanic and I'm like, I thought, well, at least I'll work with my hands. That sounds great. Um, but then I saw on the 15th day, SEER was all outside. Everybody was outside doing stuff and it was all wilderness and it was in the woods. And I'm like, that looks so much better than a mechanic shop and way more in alignment with what I already felt and how safe and, and confident I felt in the wilderness in particular. Um, but I was very shy going in. So I, I kind of listened to the outdoor stuff, but didn't really understand that I was going to be an instructor. And it was quite a few years later before I really realized, hey, you know what? I actually like people and I love teaching. Who would have thunk? <laughs> um, and the wilderness, of course, has just always been there for me. So uh, I just didn't, I guess I, at the time, didn't even realize that outdoor professional was really a thing. I, I, you know, Jacques Cousteau was one of my heroes, and that was probably the oceanographer bit as well. But it wasn't really even on my radar. I didn't really understand, um, I don't know, careers in general, I guess. And I've been lucky because I like to change careers. I'm not one who likes to stick with one thing all the way through. And so it was, it's been great that I went from like in the military to um, MWR, which is morale, welfare and recreation and giving tours basically. So we do horseback riding and kayak on the Rhine and you know all these different adventures, um, sea kayaking in the North Sea and things when I was overseas. Um, and so I worked there for a little while and then I got a ropes course, challenge course stuff and did that for a few years and working at a campground. Uh, then I got into wilderness therapy, which was huge for me personally, because I hadn't had any therapy um, to deal with my issues prior to that. And it was such um, such an honor to be witness and to be included in other people's journeys and to watch and be able to share my own experience and help um, young adults and kids go through their own process of healing. Um, and the wilderness was a huge, huge part of that. So. I feel like I've I've spent all my time as an adult in the wilderness and or outdoors in some capacity, uh, but it hasn't been like this one career and just doing the nine to five grind, which doesn't suit me at all. I really like challenge and I really like to change it up. So uh, it's been a pretty awesome ride. <laughs> it's been amazing and alone was fantastic. Um, I'm hoping to possibly new another show here coming up this fall, which would be a lot of fun as well down in South America. And um, so I'm just, I feel really, really honored and really um, grateful for all the opportunities I've got right now and how many awesome adventures I get and how many amazing people like y'all that I get to meet. Uh, it's, it's really been an amazing journey. I have no complaints. <laughs> well, speaking of switching up your careers, OWLS, that's a brand new school for you, right? It's a new startup. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I realized pretty quickly, um, I started out 
SEER training with uh, a friend. We did migrations together, which was a National Geographic show uh, back in 2015, and it aired in 2016 uh, with Dan Baird, and he he has the California Survival School, and so I worked with him for quite a while for these last several years, and um, but I realized pretty quickly when we started that school that I, I really wanted to work with women and with people that I felt like similar to me when I was a kid, I ended up getting into it just because it was my comfort and I'd sneak out and I felt safe there. And my mom was very comfortable outdoors. So that that led me into that realm. But for most people, women and for the LGBTQ community, for the POC, there's this barrier to getting outside and really enjoying the wilderness. It's it seems like it's still, you know, Grizzly Adams was a big thing when I was a kid and he's this big bearded white guy, you know, and that's, he was tough and he's dealing with grizzlies and, you know, all these things. And it, it seemed like it was only for those types of people. And so I realized pretty quickly when I started SEER training with Dan that I really wanted to work with those people, the people who felt like it wasn't for them. And the years in wilderness therapy, I think, helped me bring those people especially to like i've never camped before you know i might be 60 and i've never gone outside and really had an experience out there and i've always wanted to and i've just been a little scared or worried or you know it didn't feel like it was really for me or i was supposed to do on or do that kind of thing and so those are the people i want to reach and they'll go no come on let's go play it's it's a wonderful place to be and it's so healing and so much fun uh so that's those are the people i want to reach so um, Dan said, well, we could start a women's brand. I'm like, you know, I really feel like this needs to be mine. This needs to be something I do. And I need to be able to call the shots and, and guide it the way that I, I think it needs to be, the way that follows my heart. So, um, so that's what it is. And it's been awesome. I'm having a lot of fun already this summer doing a lot of things. And um, we'll get to work with Callie Russell. We're going to do a a couple of classes called wild women on the water <laughs> coming up in august <laughs> nice yeah and they we uh you know it booked really quick and so um we'll see how they go and uh but i'm guessing we're gonna just have a lot of fun because Callie is amazing and we'll do that and then hopefully you know over the few, next few years we'll probably run that course again just because um there's a big need for it you know i think there's a lot of women um, and in the LGBT community, I'm also um, going to be working with uh, Queer Nature up in Washington at the beginning of August. So we'll be doing a five day kind of stealth class. Nice. So it's just, yeah, I'm having a blast. You know, this is again, life is good. <laughs> I can't complain. So are all of your classes in person or do you do anything virtual? I've done a little bit of virtual. It's definitely not my preferred, you know, anything that's a, a skill, like a physical skill is a little hard to learn virtually. Um, I was so impressed with how Masterclass did it. Masterclass is, was amazing. The people there were so sweet and so supportive and just really awesome. But it, it is very difficult, I think, to learn and convey information. And like, I can't peek over your shoulder, you know, if I'm a video and say, hey, oh, you've almost got that not, not right. You know, just for you, your mnemonic is gonna be blah, blah, blah because of the way you like to tie this. Or, hey, change the angle of that knife just a little bit and you'll get those shavings a little better or whatever it is you know i can't i can't do that virtually so um unless we're on a zoom or something like and even then it's like uh, i can't 
quite see. Can you change the camera angle? And, you know, um, so it gets really awkward. So I definitely prefer in-person classes where I can see faces and I can work off that energy and, and really tailor a class to what people are most interested in learning and what they're excited about. And if they have questions, we can just bounce off and the others learn from the questions of each other and um, they get to meet each other and support each other. So yeah, I definitely like the in-person classes way better. Yeah, that is something that we noticed when we were taking, we all, I think we all love the masterclass, but it, we did want to ask questions about the knots and spe specifically, <laughs> you know, we were like, if we could just ask her. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say too, Mara. And when we were looking at a masterclass, because we're from all over the place, you know, Jess in Hawaii, some of us are in Cincinnati, some of us are in St. Croix. So we were looking at masterclass as something that we can do together and learn together. And seeing a woman teaching survival skills in the, the wild, we're like, yes, that's what we have to do. And we have to try it. And that was definitely something that was missing was being able to interact and ask you questions and like, hey, are we doing this right? And uh, there were a couple of things we did want to get more in depth with, but has doing that did that really set you up for a loan like how how do you feel going into that I really feel like there were very separate things right one is more of a personal challenge you know alone was you're alone and you're gonna practice your skills and they've likened it to the Olympics of the survival world <laughs> <laughs> which in a way is a misnomer you know like I say in master class my specialty is survival and there's bushcraft there's survival there's primitive living there are many different facets of outdoor mm, interaction i guess would be the best way to put it and so my specialty with the military was survival i was out there having fun and now i don't want to be there anymore and bushcraft is more like the grizzly adams thing where you're more of a homesteader you've got an axe you're you might have livestock you're um you, you're making natural shelters all the time you're you're you might do a little bit of primitive living but i think of like flint and steel right not even a, a ferro rod but like old-fashioned flint and steel and char cloth and that kind of thing um, and heating up bricks in the fire to put in your bed at night and you know, things along these this line uh, versus primitive living is tribal, right? Where you've got teepees or wiki ups or um, lodges and things that you're using instead. So and you, you're intimate with the land, and you know, the plants and that's your pharmacy. And, and so there's different facets of interaction with wilderness. And we modern humans don't deal with any of it most of the time. We're in our safe little boxes, right, all over the all over the planet now. Um, so it's it's a very different way to look at the world, I think, and to interact with it. So for alone, it's it's more of a bushcrafty and tribalism kind of thing. And there are combinations, there are all these skills intermix in one way or another. There's overlap between them. Um, but my specialty is more survival, which means trying to get out of the situation, right? And in alone, we're not trying to get out of the situation. We're actually trying to stay there as long as possible. Right. <laughs> so it's a it's a different take. Um, and it's I like that kind of thing when it's a challenge like that. Um, this was nice being in Labrador because they actually reached out to me for season one. And it was the same time I was headed over to the Serengeti um, back in 2015. And I didn't, they didn't really know much about it at that time. And so 
I had, and they, all they did is call me up and somebody called me up and said, Hey, we're going to put you out in Washington state and you'll be out there with a backpack full of stuff. And we're going to see how long you can stay. Like they didn't really know yet. It was going to be a competition or right prize money or any of that. And I did all my training in Washington state. Like that's, that's where air force seer school is. So I was really confused. I'm like, if I can survive anywhere on the planet indefinitely, it's going to be Washington state. Like I, I can either go there. Or I can go to the Serengeti. Like, this is no contest, right? So I ended up doing the Serengeti, and it wasn't until a year later when the show actually came out. I'm like, oh, that's this the one they're Hey, wait a minute. We <laughs> <laughs> don't have a woman on there, and we didn't see anything about $500,000 now. Come on. <laughs> that drove me a little crazy about season one. It was 10 men, 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 men. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? When do the women come on the show? But There's thankfully, it was only one season that it was all men. Yeah. And I think that was one, what, you know, you're talking about the different kinds of wilderness uh, uh, survivalists. That's the fun thing about each season. You, you can kind of pick out the different people. I, I, I remember in season two, there was the, she was the herbalist tribal. You had a couple of those people and they're just out there living their best life. I mean, the very first day she was out there, she made a freaking chair and, and Bill and I are looking at each other and we're like, well, there you go. I mean, what do you do? You need a chair to stargaze. And then you've got the guys that go out there and they're literally laying under their tarp for two weeks. And they're like, oh, I guess I ought to build something. You know, it's just it's so funny, the different um, the different approaches. And, and you, you know, it's it's fun to watch and see or who do you think is going to last the longest? And it surprises us every time what makes people tap out mm -hmm. you know they're the obvious things there's oh well i'm starving to death perhaps i ought to go home or i'm, I'm sick maybe i ought to go home but some of the things that make people go home are just so surprising you know just i forget which season it was and i forget the guy's name but they sent him home because he was starving he was his, he was starving but he had so much food yeah yeah that was season I, season two yeah, I felt yeah. He's so like, wait, bad for wait, that guy. I'll eat. I've got all this fish here. And we're like, it's too late, yeah. buddy. <laughs> oh, that's making it up for a rainy day. <laughs> Jesse, I gotta know, what was your first real meal after alone? Uh, the first thing, God, my first real meal. What did I have? Um, they do a really good job of taking care of us afterwards and making sure that we're going to be in pretty good shape by the time we go home. Um, so it was so I guess my first meal when I came home, my boyfriend is amazing and he um, he usually makes me food when I come home from things like this. Um, so I'm trying to think. I think he made my favorite, which is moussaka. So kind of a, a lasagna kind of thing that I absolutely love with eggplant. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Are you vegetarian? No, I'm not. Okay. Um, I, I've gone for, for a fairly long, I actually really like, I'm a pretty big meat eater if I can, but I don't, I don't tend to eat it that much because of the impact on the planet. Gotcha. So I'm not real big with it. I need to, I'd like to soon get, um, they have like these boxes you can get that you can grow mealworms on your counter using your scraps, like basically compost and you throw it in there and then basically grow mealworms, which have so much more protein content. And so you can literally just toss them into your stir fry or whatever you're making and they taste, give it kind of a nutty flavor and it's basically growing protein on your counter, which I think is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, LC is, like has the heebie-jeebies thinking about that 
I was like, I, ju- I just fed mealworms to my bearded dragon this morning. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't think about eating one. I hear they taste like potato chips. We just always hope that when that boat's going out, when someone's hit that red button, that they're at least bringing them a nice sandwich. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> Never see him eating a sandwich when they're on the boat. I'm like, just, just give the guy a sandwich, please. <laughs> please. They look like, they look terrible, right? Yeah. They actually, it's really got to be careful anybody with refeeding when if you've gone a long time without food that can be pretty nasty my time on migrations which was the the serengeti trip my the worst pain i've ever felt was coming off of that i it's it had been just 35 days and hiking across the serengeti and there were days when my ration was like a piece of biltong right basically jerky like the size of my pinky um and maybe a baobab seed and other people were not eating other anything sometimes so i was mostly getting the salt content out of it and the refeeding after that my mom unfortunately has a lot of stomach issues she's had struggled with ulcers and just having a sensitive stomach her whole life and for the most part i've been really good almost the opposite of that Um, but coming off migrations apparently when you're you don't eat for a while your stomach stops producing acid which makes sense right otherwise it'd be eating itself there's nothing for it to digest But then when you start eating again, it doesn't really know how to control the acid. It just kind of dumps it all. And so you can end up with this high acidity and it can be extremely painful. So I was in agony after migrations in particular um, with the refeeding refeeding process. And they didn't really govern what we ate. Like, here's the buffet, go for it. And so I was was in absolute agony. So um, you'd think like, yeah, just give them a bunch, give them food and it's going to be great. And it's like... (laughs) Just a sandwich. No. <laughs> Before alone, what was the longest that you were out in a survival situation? Um, I'd say probably either migrations alone was probably a couple of weeks. That's probably all I've done. And it was in Kauai. So I was hearing you talk, Jess, about being, I love <laughs> Kauai. It's one of my favorites. And yes, I have eaten some of the... <laughs> We, I did find a, a roadkill rooster and cooked it up one night on Kauai. Although yeah. they have the joke in Kauai with the roosters, like, you know, if you want to make a good uh, soup out of the, the birds there, the wild chickens, you, you put the bird, you pluck it, get it all ready, put it in the pot and start to boil it. And you boil it for about a day and you put in a rock, get a good rock and put the rock in there too. And you can add your veggies and all that. And and you boil it for another day or so. And then when when it's done, you throw out the chicken and you eat the rock. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's I've a- actually, I've read about like eggs here and just, you know, because there's so many chickens, like, well, can you just set up a coop and you can eat, like, can you eat the eggs? Because, I mean, I love eggs and sure. I just, I've heard that that's kind of hit or miss because you really got to know what your chickens are eating because there's so much other stuff that you could find around. And I just, uh, yeah, I think I'll let somebody else take care of the chickens and the eggs and I'll just, I'll just eat them. I actually, my, uh, before we started, my coworker uh, brought in lunch. So I've got some chickens sitting on the corner of my desk looking at me right now. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, did you, did you hike the Kalalau Trail or something along those lines when you were in Kauai? Yeah, I got there a little unconventionally. <laughs> I, I went down, I walked down Mililii Ridge, which is 
Um, about four miles, I'd say, kind of west, southwest of the Kalalau. And uh, I got down there and I wanted to get to the Kalalau. And so I ended up making a raft. I spent three days and made a raft and a paddle out of 160 feet of mule tape and some 550 cord and found some buoys along the side and found a three or a four-sided three-gallon bucket. And I cut out two of the sides and attached it to the walking stick I'd used to come down Mili'i Ridge, which was looking back kind of stupid and dangerous, but I got on the ridge, made the, made the paddle and the raft. And Hey, if anybody listening to this is one of the people that took photos of any of this, I would love to see it. Um, so I took, I, I made the raft and I pushed off and I was absolutely terrified. Right. Like, what oh, kind for of sure. Yeah. <laughs> Pushing off the North shore of Kauai in a homemade raft. Uh, but I pushed off and I, I paddled for a while. And of course this is a raft. You don't paddle that fast. And for the first part of the day, I would line up a couple of peaks and the current was actually going the opposite direction. It was pushing me the way I wanted to go. It's like, yes, because most people go from the northeast to the southwest and I was trying to go the opposite direction. Uh, and so I, I land, there's like a, a beach, like a half a mile, quarter mile, like just around this butte. But it took me like at least an hour to get there because this raft is this big ungainly thing. <laughs> and I go pulling in and there's boaters going the other way. They're kayakers and, uh, or not kayakers, um, snorkelers, right? So they get on the boat, power boat, they stop at these beaches, they do some snorkeling, they get back in the boat and they keep going. And, um, so they're, they're, I come around the corner, you know, extremely slowly, but I'm kind of pulling in as like two or three boats are pulling in there and they're clicking pictures. And I'm like, what the heck, you know, is this girl doing on here? And the, the captain of the boat, he's like, do you mind if I take a picture? And I'm like, no, go ahead. Everybody else is, you know, don't mind me any. And he goes, great, because I've been doing this for like 30 years and I'm trying to figure out how to explain that, <laughs> whatever you're doing. All of oh. this. <laughs> yeah. I, I figure a picture will be the best way. And I'm like, great. And so he takes a picture and, you know, we talk a little bit and I'm talking to the other guy and I had planned to stop at one beach and he's like, you know, like another mile down. The guy's like, oh, no, 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 you can't. That's all rocks. You try to land that raft there, you're going to get smashed to the smithereens. And the rest of it is just cliffs, right? And you weren't supposed to stay at that beach overnight. So I'm like, okay, I got to push off. And I was only planning on going a little and it taking me like three hours to get the boat down to the water even, right? The raft <laughs> down there. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to be pushing it today. I guess I'm making the whole distance today. And I get the raft in the water, you know, to get out there again. It takes me like I have to go out a half mile from shore to get around the uh, the coral reefs and things. Anyway, long story short, man, by the time I got there, well, I get like most of the way there. I'm like a half mile out and I'm so tired, right? And getting dehydrated. And I had a shoulder injury like a, a couple of weeks before that. And I'm paddling, paddling, paddling. And of course, now if I'd have stopped paddling, I'm going backwards, right? The, the tide is or the currents changed. And this boat comes up and they're circling me and they're because I had it many times during the day. People would come and the boats would circle and they're like, uh, are, are, are you okay? Do you need to be rescued? <laughs> yeah, what, <laughs> what is that? That you're out or did, did you make that? What the, right? And so they go around and so these guys are like, do you need help? And I'm like, yeah, actually, because I had made the commitment. I'm like, you know, just people have been asking you and you've been stubborn and you've been like, no, nah, no, nah, I've got it. I'm good. And I'm grinning, you know, and paddling. You okay? Yeah, I'm fine. You know, are you okay? I think they meant not just emo, not just mental or physically, <laughs> but like, seriously, woman, what the heck are you doing out here? Right. And so I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, I, my shoulder's bad. I should really just next person who asked me for help, I should say yes. And so they, they're trying to find a rope. They don't have one. I had one that I'd found on the beach. So I throw it and they're like, okay, come on the boat and we'll help you. We'll haul you down. I'm like, no, I'm not leaving my raft and my pack. I got to be in there. Like, yeah, but if we pull you, you're going to get drugged underwater. And I'm like, 
okay, but I'm still not leaving my raft. And so I like hold on to my pack and the raft and they start dragging me and I'm going underwater. So I'm like, right. And I stick my head up as high as I can. Get her breath. And, I'm, right? and when I come up and look, there's all these people on the boat, you know, again, rolling video and clicking pictures. And I'm like, and they finally stop. And then I have to make landfall and the water had been pretty lame, you know, really low and flat in the morning. And now it's like, seven there's five foot like rollers out on the ocean and as i'm making landfall they're like seven foot you know between the top and the trough and i'm like oh boy <laughs> coming in hot and i'm like <laughs> the water's so clear so i'm like can i get off can i stand i don't know oh my god here's the next wave you know <laughs> i just get it was ridiculous it was just stupid one of the stupidest things you know but anyway it was a heck of an adventure so i love i absolutely love Kauai. <laughs> how long ago was that What's that? How long ago was that? Oh, God, it was probably uh, close to 10 years now, probably. Jess, you're going to have to ask around your local dive shops. Someone uh, yeah. has video of <laughs> Please. that. Please. I would love Do to you see guys if remember this that. crazy lady. <laughs> Weirdo out there. You're never going to believe who that was. <laughs> and also tried to get to the Kalawau Trail the wrong direction. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was so funny. And then I, so I ended up walking the Kalawau out. I wasn't planning to, but I had this like thing of like, I feel like I'm supposed to get in contact with somebody, you know, get out and, and get to cell service. And my sister, her, um, her, we're half sisters and her stepfather had died. So I'd mm -hmm. had this mental thing of like, I, I don't know why, cause I was going to try to hike out the back of the Kalau, which somebody had died like a couple weeks before then doing it. But that's the kind of stuff I tend to get myself into. But, um, I just felt like I needed to get to cell signal. And then my sister Nola had been calling me and, and, and left messages so i'm like okay go. yeah so i ended up walking the cowl out and saw like three guys jogging in with nothing it was really weird they were like four miles in they're sweating not even carrying water wow. like hey wh where are you guys going oh we're gonna hit the cowl out and then our our girlfriends are going around the other side they're gonna pick us up and i'm like okay by boat oh no they're gonna drive around the island and i'm like yeah, by boat nope. because there are no roads going to the Kalau. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah. Let me let me show you the map. <laughs> and luckily, they were smart enough to turn around, and just go back. Because I'm like, I don't, I don't think you understand where you're headed right now, dude. There's there's no civilization out there. There's a bunch of people who will take care of you, but yeah, you're not finding a road. That's for darn sure. You can call a helicopter to come get you, yeah. but uh... <laughs> well, actually, you can't because there's no cell service. <laughs> yeah. That's true. And oh they didn't gosh. bring emergency phones or anything. So they had nothing. They would have been in trouble. <laughs> so speaking of cameras, what was it like? Like, was it hard to record yourself the whole time you were there or did the camera sort of become your Wilson? Yeah. I, yeah, I hated, no, I hated the camera. <laughs> I hated having to set it up. I would call it the baby. It's like, Oh, I got to change the baby's diaper again. Oh, got to feed the baby, you know, change the, change the battery again. Cause it's eating the batteries, you know, and the colder it gets, the faster it burns through them. And you're trying to have a couple cameras operating at the same time so they can have, you know, cuts and cut to different angles and things. And it's like, uh, so you got several different cameras and you're wearing one. And so you just change the battery and 15 minutes later, you got to stop what you're doing and go change the other one. And yeah, it's. Do they just send you out there with a ton of batteries? Yep. <laughs> That's wow. what they have to do, right? That, yeah. I guess what else would they do? Yeah. And, and a bunch of memory cards so you can record everything and 
then they got to go through all that data. That's a lot of, right? If you've got two cameras running virtually all day, every day, you can imagine how much footage they have to go through to try to put the show together. So gosh, that must be so boring for them to look at. What did you do to pass the time? (laughs) Sing, talk. I I did see you sing a song on one episode. You have a beautiful voice, (laughs) Jesse. Thank you. I loved that little song. Thanks. Yeah, it's got a few verses. I don't know if they're gonna end up playing all of them. But yeah, hodgepodge lodge. Great. Oh, Mary I Hodge. love that name. My <laughs> name is Mary Hodge and my nice. little craft, like arts and craft business is called Hodgepodge Unlimited. So nice. Hodgepodge Lodge was like, spoke to me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I'm like, it doesn't really fit into any category. Like it's not a TP. It's, I don't know. It's not a, not an official lean to it's a combination of a debris. I don't know. It was a bunch of stuff. So I'm like a oh, hodgepodge. Sounds great. <laughs> What was the most challenging thing about being a contestant on Alone? Hmm. That you can talk about today. Yeah, yeah that you're allowed to talk about. about. What, what can I share? Um, we don't want to get you in trouble. No, you know, the Alone thing for me isn't a big deal. And I, I think for, I think they do a pretty good job because any of the shows that I've been on, basically, they do psychological evaluation. So you're doing psychological testing. And I was raised primarily as an only child. I, I'm blessed now. I'm very grateful to have seven sisters and two brothers. Um, and that's amazing. But I didn't really grow up with any of them in the same household. Uh, and I was I, I was always a natural introvert anyway. And so being alone is, isn't a really a problem for me. For me. Um, I do like, I guess, entertainment and, and just having more adventure. And so there was a part, especially building hodgepodge, and I'm like, this is my focus right now is building this. So it felt a lot like a job. <laughs> and I'm the type that I like people like, okay, let's, you know, sit around the fire and talk at night and sing songs and tell stories and, and whatever. So I did miss that part of it. Cause it, it was more like the entertainment part yeah. of just being human. Um, so I think, I think I missed that probably the most more of a, a community feel and like, Hey, we might not have much, but let's sit around the fire and have something to eat. And, um, just have some outside, like, you know, you get st- uh, songs, Ugh. you get songs stuck in your head, <laughs> you know, <what> I mean? <laughs> normally in normal quote unquote life, you could just put on another song, right? And it's fine. And here you cannot, <laughs> ah! it just won't go away. So you have to like deliberately try, but then I'd, I'd like sing other songs and inevitably I'd have a lull or and there's that, there's, they're back again. I just can't escape it. Sometimes it's that like, hill or whatever it is now yeah. I'm hearing everywhere. Yeah. And it'd be the most random songs, you know, that you haven't heard in like 20 years. You haven't heard this song and suddenly pops in your brain and it's like days go by and you cannot get rid of <sighs> What about Baby Shark? Did that song pop in your head? Oh my Which gosh. One? Baby shark, baby okay. shark. Do, 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 do. Oh my gosh. If you get that in my head, I would tap out. I'd be like, "Look, I, am... I can't get baby shark out of my head. It's I'm time done. to go home." I'm done. <laughs> or lambkin. Uh, this is the song that never. <laughs> run away! Run away! Absolutely. Have you gone camping or hiking since you've been home from alone? Yeah. Oh, good. Mostly for work, yeah. But yes, definitely. And we're about to. I've just 
come off of three weeks of like working, working pretty steadily of running a lot of overnight and one day courses in Vermont and just um, the other this last weekend I did a three day weekend here in Boulder, um, Denver area. Uh, so yeah, I sleep, I was sleeping out of the ground a couple nights ago for a couple of nights and yeah I sleep outside a lot and I, I like being outdoors so so that's all good. Um, and now we're about to start a, a three week vacation I'm really excited we just got kittens. We got about 16 weeks right now and we're training them to be adventure kitties. Oh, that's exciting. So, yeah, so they've already been in the kayaks and uh, we're going to take them on a three week road trip, basically heading up to Minnesota and Michigan, where I'm originally from. My boyfriend's from Minnesota, so his dad's from Minnesota, I should say. And so we're taking my kitties with us and uh, we're going to do kayaking trips and take them out and just get them used to being outdoors and having fun so they can come with us. When we awesome. do outdoor stuff. Yeah. Do so you want to borrow my cat for a little while and make him an adventure cat? <laughs> I could just. It's hard to do tail. when they're already an adult. Then they tend to get their, their paws and they're not going anywhere. So. Oh, we just moved, and anytime he's in a crate, he he poops or something. So I'm like, oh, I'll just I'll hold him on the way to the house in a towel, and he vomited and peed in my lap. Oh, that no. was a mistake. Oh no. Oops. I, I wish, I wish I could go back and make him an adventure kitty. <laughs> so has this experience changed you at all? Do you have a new outlook on life? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. One is that I feel like the outdoors became my work. Right. And I think that's a danger. I was talking to somebody recently, one of my students, actually, this, I think it was just this last weekend of, of that dynamic. Like we, we'd, you know, we have the saying, find what you love and turn it into your work. Right. So do what you love and then you never work a day in your life is the concept. Mm -hmm. But the opposite can be do true too. And I think I just lost sight of that. So back when I was in high school, I loved, I loved to swim. I absolutely love swimming. And I was really resistant. I'd take swim class like, you know, all the time when I as my elective. <clears throat> and I'd have the uh, the swim coach come and try to recruit me for the swim team on the high school. And I'm like, no. Because then you're going to make it work. I'm going to have to be here every night, right? And I'm going to have to do it. Like, that doesn't sound like fun at all. I want to do it when I want to do it. And so I think there's a part of me that's realizing I, I start to look at the wilderness like this is work. And I don't want to do that. I want to spend more time playing and less time working out there and really foster that connection again. And remember that that's, that's why I love it is it wasn't work it's just playing and adventuring but when i'm out there teaching i'm very focused on the students and what's the next lesson i'm going to be teaching and what's okay the weather oh the sun's out great let's go get the signal mirrors out right um and i'm focused on that or oh the weather's kicking up it's going to start raining so what would it you know what would i do well i'd put up a shelter great students let's get together we're going to put up a shelter and so i'm not really just like i don't care if it's raining <laughs> I'm going to go sit in the rain, you know, or, you know, you'd never climb a tree. That's just not a good thing in a survival situation, even though I love climbing trees because it can be dangerous. You could, anything can happen and just putting yourself, more, but I'm like, if I'm on my own, I'm making rafts, right? And I'm pushing off into the ocean and, and I'm climbing ridges that are probably not real smart. And I'm dancing in rain and lightning storms. And um, it's that kind of excitement and adrenaline that I really thrive on. And uh, and so I stopped doing that. I, I play it more cautious, obviously. And I, I can't do a lot of the adventures that I 
where I really push myself and I'm really having a great time because they're dangerous and, um, and other people, I'd be way too focused on the other people. So, um, I think that's, that was a big takeaway for me that I need to spend more, I need to remember why I love wilderness and, and just being crazy and zany out there. Cause I have absolutely no, if, if I, I hope actually <laughs> that when I do, when I go out, that it's doing something awesome and epic and crazy. To me, that's perfectly fine. I really don't, I don't fear death. I see it as just another adventure. Um, so survive, it's not all about survival to me. I, I love, I think it was Tom Brown Jr. said something about like, you know, we, as far as we know, we try to be safe, secure, and comfortable our whole lives. That's what we're, we're aiming for, right? We want the social security and we want retirement and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, but if you think of the, t the stories that you tell, it's usually when you're anything out, anything but safe, secure, and comfortable. Like those are the times we remember. Like, yeah, sure, I enjoy, enjoy sitting around watching TV. And that's not, that's not really like, that's my downtime. <laughs> the rest of it, I want to be out there creating stories and, and memories and having just an awesome adventure. And that's when things go wrong. That's really what starts the adventure to begin with is, things don't go exactly according to plan and they're going off the rails and you got to figure it out. And to me, that's the fun of it. So I don't have a problem with, with dying or that, that being the way I go out. And uh, I'd rather much rather have that than be stuck in a nice, safe environment. I would go absolutely insane. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I heard you say that you taught a class recently in Vermont and then one in Colorado. Are your classes all over the country? They are, especially I think, well, because OWLS is so new, right? People aren't following that, finding the website very well. And I'm still linked to SEER training and SEER training is awesome. And that's not really where I am anymore. Like I'm stepping back from that. This last weekend was pretty much my last like general class with SEER training. So I'm doing a lot more this year so far this summer with collaborations with people, some of them that I've done collaborations with in the past, like Vermont Outdoor Guide Association and Mud City Adventures up in Vermont. So that's who I was just working with this last few weeks. Um, and then, you know, I'm gonna be up with Queer Nature and Callie Russell in August. So I'm doing a lot more collaborations this summer and a few classes for owls here and there. Um, so that will hopefully actually, I'd like that to kind of stay that way. I'd like to do a few classes for owls each year here in the, the Denver area, but I really like the challenge and the, the variety of going to different environments and climates and, and playing with the skills there. Cause I was taught as a global survival instructor and that's, and I do like to change things up. I don't want routine. I, I, definitely am not a routine pe person in any way, shape or form. So I really like that a lot better. And I meet awesome people, right? I get to go and meet all these amazing people and hang out with them and teach stuff and learn what they're what they have to teach and their take on life and way of explaining things and doing things. So I like it a lot better that way for sure. So uh, another direction change. Have you before your uh, little stint in Labrador? Have you ever eaten squirrel before that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> my, my grandfather used to hunt squirrel and he would bring it home and clean it. And my grandma would cook it up, but none of the grandkids ever ate it, but that was my grandpa hunted squirrel all the time. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. Uh, for the mediators that, you know, or people, I am very, like I said, I love, I love animals. I absolutely love animals, but I have to say the young one was pretty tasty. <laughs> 
pretty, so, pretty good. When you, when you were learning how to forage, was that part of your seer training or was that something kind of aside from that? Well, we don't really, it's seer, it's more about global survival. And there are so many um, plants, you know, around the planet. So we would teach something called the edibility test specifically for plants. And I've done a little more, and of course I know some plants um, specifically, and I'm okay with it, but it's more about edibility, and I know some of the medicinal qualities, nothing like Nicole on alone, or um, like Thomas Alpel, I think of him, he's an amazing um, herbalist, or um, Doug Simons, he's an incredible like plant whisperer, so there's there's people that are really good, and I love to take classes with them, but <clears throat> I'm, I don't consider myself to be a good plant expert at all. Um, but we would do the edibility test at SEER, and that was a way, no matter where you are on the planet, to see what's going to be edible, right? And so that was on the master class. Um, so it's a way to test what's around. And so that's generally what I'll do. I, I'm not that good at foraging, I don't think. But traps and snares, I'm pretty good at. Uh, the hard part with alone is, one of the hard parts, is that you're only allowed certain types, right, based on the First Nations that are there. So alone does a really good job of going in and working with the First Nations peoples and saying, what are you comfortable with us collecting and, and harvesting and how would you like them harvested? Um, so I appreciate that. I think that's a very valuable thing. And definitely we need to do that and respect the first cultures. And at the same time, it's it makes it a lot harder <laughs> as a contestant when you can't do many things that you would in a true survival situation be able to you would do anyway regardless right so um it's kind of a catch-22 there one of my favorite things about watching the show is every person is so thankful for anything they get from the land whether it's a piece of meat or if it's berries whatever everyone is so thankful and i just love that about the contestants in general there's just like you said there's that respect for the land and the people and it's really nice absolutely you know i think that's that is a a difference between sort of the bushcraft mentality and the tribal mentality and the bushcraft is is more the uh, it's so cliche but the white man approach of i am going to dominate and i am going to control it and i will destroy it in order to create it in my own image kind of thing and so there's that kind of concept of bushcraft and um i don't i'm not crazy about that and, and i think most people who really love wilderness and have gotten a lot from it realize how valuable it is and have more of the primitive or the uh, more native perspective of like dirt <laughs> dirt we can't stand here right without dirt we unless we have all these amazing living organisms and fungi and bacterium and all these things creating this world we live in you know bees we didn't even realize how important bees are you know you just kill them like no that's what's pollinating all that lovely fruit you're eating you know so it's we just often don't have i think because we came from this very dominating um in some ways very patriarchal and in this very hierarchy type system of it's humans first and everything else bows to us and uh it's really not that way they could get along just fine without us right <laughs> it's us who really needs them so definitely being grateful for the life that's being taken and and for you know the place that i'm living right now like there were trees here there was life here there were animals that considered this home before i you know somebody put up this concrete building 
and uh and put in all this plumbing and now i'm here but that displaced a lot of other things and um so understanding and not not being entitled basically and we have a lot of entitled people on our planet now that are just we're very comfortable and um we forget sometimes that it's not just our warriors right i'm military prior military and sure like thank you for service for us having a country that's relatively free and and we can speak our minds and so on and so forth and um there's a level even deeper than that and it's simply gratitude for life for having a planet that we can live on and breathe the air and go out in the sunshine and and have water to drink and survive on live on thrive on that was a beautiful way to end our episode this week thank you for that we want to leave our listeners with a challenge. We want you to go on a solo overnight adventure. Maybe prepare by watching Jesse Krebs masterclass. She's got lots of stuff to teach you. And then tell us about your adventure by using the hashtag Siren Soapbox and all the social medias. Jesse, we really enjoyed chatting with you tonight and have loved watching your adventure unfold each week on History Channels alone. Do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you? Sure. Um, I'm at owlskills.com. So O-W-L-S skills.com. Uh, and that's where you can find me most of the time. I do have some Instagram and Facebook and stuff. And so if you reach out to me, eventually I'll, I'll probably get to it. <laughs> I do tend to, <laughs> I do, don't tend to get on the social media all that often, but I try. So yeah, that's where you can get me. I'd love to have people out for class. I, I tell my students all the time, I'm like, I like to go teach. So but if I'm standing out here in the wilderness, just talking to air, it uh, doesn't look real good. So <laughs> it's nice to have <laughs> students to yak at instead of me just talking to myself out in the woods. The sirens are going to have to plan a class with you at some point. That would be amazing. That'd yeah, be when awesome. we go viral, we'll eventually come out and take a class with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Sirens. a deal. Sounds great. Sirens, thank you for sharing your experiences with us. It's so much fun to learn what each of our own comfort zones are and how they differ from one another. So thank you for that. And thank you fellow explorers for listening to this episode. Check us out on TikTok. We're new there and having some fun with that platform. I hope we'll see you at our Explore Cooking event on July 9th. We're making breakfast burrito casserole and it's a cook along event. So you'll be making the same meal and you get to share with your friends and family afterwards. And until next time, Dive in, stay curious, and be happy. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of Siren Soapbox. And a special thank you to C-Strings for providing our music. Snag their latest EP from iTunes today. Follow the Sirens on all the social medias, and don't forget to tell your friends about us. Like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll catch you next time on another episode of Siren Soapbox.